Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School, Chicago. I hope and pray that the following message blesses you with peace and hope in Christ, who died and rose for you, for free. It is yours. If you'd like to support God's mission of giving life, hope, peace, joy, and love in the city of Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org. Peace. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never die. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Last night, uh, Julie and I, my wife and I were having a conversation, and uh, I was also, because I can multitask, reading emails on my phone trying to serve everybody. It's hard. Do you think that she appreciated that? First of all, no. And uh, so what usually happens when I'm doing that is I get the old quiz, what I say. Because she'll, she'll say something, I'll say, yeah. What did I just say? <laughs> I'm not, I'm like 50-50 on that. I'll come back. I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty good at BSing, you know, so I can kind of, but she catches me and knows I'm not really listening. Uh, Anybody else have that problem? Multitasking, looking on your phone while someone's talking. I don't think, just make sure I'm I'm not the only one, right? Is this a problem? It's it's terrible, right? We're listening, but we're not really listening. We think we can listen, but we're not, right? We're just nodding our heads, and that's usually what I do until I've got to focus. Um, She could have said anything, right? She could have said something like, uh, you know, if you listen to my words, you'll never die. That would have got my attention, I suppose if I was really listening. This is not just a sermon on listening skills, although I think we could all learn to listen, to look at one another, to leave the phone or other distractions away and be focused when we're with somebody and listening. That's a good lesson right there. But I think that's kind of how we listen to Jesus a lot. He's speaking, we're sort of nodding our heads to what he says. And he says some crazy things. And we're just like, yeah, okay, that's, oh, that's interesting, Jesus. Yeah, that's true. And we just kind of go on our lives, just kind of giving Jesus lip service after he says stuff like, if you keep my words, you will never die, which is ridiculous. How's your listening to Jesus going? The Pharisees get a lot, of, uh, a lot of mocking, right? They're the enemies of Jesus. And we think of the Pharisees, and, and by the way, John calls the Pharisees Jews in his uh, gospel. He's not talking, because John's Jewish, physically, ethnically, as well as Jesus, etc. But in the late first century, when he says this, he means those followers of Judaism, so it's not a racial thing, it is their followers of Jesus. Does that make sense? This is, this is important for our modern ears, what you're hearing when, John's, when John says this. He can't be racist, he is Jewish. That's what he means. So we give the Pharisees, a, just you know, they're the enemies of Jesus. They don't get Jesus, they end up, right, conspiring to put him on the cross, all these sort of things. But really, if you think about it, their response to Jesus is pretty good. In fact, I would say they might be the only ones who actually are listening to Jesus. 
because the response shows it. Notice in today's gospel lesson, Jesus has been saying already some, you know, like the truth will set you free and that he is the truth. And they say this, I love this exchange here, chapter 8, verse 48, they answered Jesus and said, I love this question, it's a question, are we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? You know, like, what's he supposed to say to that, right? But that's their response to how Jesus talks and the outlandish things that he says. You must have a demon. I mean, look what he says. He goes on. He says, I I love his response here. I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I don't seek my own glory. There is one who does, one as in Yahweh, God, who seeks it. He's the judge. Truly, truly. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen up. I'm laying something down very clear and quite honestly, new, equal to Holy Scripture, which is not something I advise any of you to do. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Think about that. If indeed I'm talking and my wife says that to me, would I just keep on reading my phone? Probably should stop and check her into rush. Right? That's ridiculous. You don't say something like that. I mean, I can see, I, I can see Trump saying something like that. Anyhow, but, uh, you know, we do. But when they do, we think it's crazy. Jesus says stuff like this all the time, and we just sort of like looking at our phone, okay, all right, that's interesting. And we go on in life. The, the Pharisees are hearing this. It's ridiculous. And so their response is, now we know that you have a demon. And we laugh. No, 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 no. They got it right. That's not a ridiculous response to what Jesus has said. He said something insane, if not blasphemous. That his words, not not God's, not Abraham's, not the prophets, his words give eternal life. Think about it. Now we know, right? And then he says... um, now we know they have a demon, as did the, and then, he's, then they say this, Abraham died. That's the great guy. Abraham, man, he's the man. He's dead. The prophets died. And yet you're saying, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? See, they're listening. You can't possibly be greater than him. And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? God bless these guys. They're listening, and they're rightfully outraged. Who do you think you are to go around saying, if you keep my words, you'll never die? And then Jesus says this, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answers, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. I'm not, I'm not glorifying myself, but then he says, it's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. In other words, your God is the one who loves me and glorifies me and brags about me. But you don't know him. I know him. If I were to say that I don't know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw and was glad. And then the Jews said to him this, you're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Now, when I was 20, I thought that was, it made sense to me. You're not 50. Like, that's old. But as you get older, that's really, it's a weird, am I right in saying this, Warren? Would you say, 
50's kind of young, right? That's weird they would say that. Anyhow, uh, this is, you're not even 50. It sounds like a teenager, right? You're not even 50 years old. And then Jesus says this, truly, truly. In other words, this is not a parable. This is not, I'm not teaching you something. I'm speaking the truth. I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Not only is that ridiculous chronologically, but that phrase, I am, likely is the first part of God's name from the burning bush, Yahweh. And the response is the response that I respect to walk on by this. I would not respect that, but this response is very respectable. They picked up stones to throw at him. Why? Because they were listening. He wasn't just talking nice things. He was saying outlandish, insane things, let alone blasphemous, but ridiculous. If you listen to my voice, you live forever. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. I will raise you up on the last day. I am the way, the truth, the life. These are not normal things. And if you hear them, you must respond in only a few options. And none of those options should be, Jesus is a nice guy. C.S. Lewis, I'm sure you read this. It's kind of a cliche now, but I think it's a good reminder once in a while He writes this in Mere Christianity. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. And and maybe you've recognized this before. Maybe you think this. I'm okay with Jesus being a great moral teacher. One of many. Buddha and and Muhammad and uh, Plato. You know, one of our great heroes. That's fine. I like Jesus. Jesus but I'm not going to accept his claim to be God. Like, he's not God. He probably never thought he was God. That's just, that's ridiculous. You know anybody like that? Jesus is great, right? He's like all the great religious figures. It's, it's about as, it's something you would say if you've never really listened to what Jesus says. The same sort of people have coexist stickers on their Volkswagen Beetle uh, or Subaru as well. Those are the only vehicles I think have those on there. But by the way, it just doesn't make any sense. The desire for love and getting along, I get that, but you just can't do this. You can't have a call. You just can't. You're not listening to what, quite frankly, you're not listening to what Buddha, you're not listening to what Muhammad's saying either. But you're not really listening to what Jesus says. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am God, he says this. I am the only way to God, he says that. So he goes on and says this. That is the one thing we must not say, that he's just a great moral teacher. He would either be, uh, then he goes, uh, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, 
or else he's a madman or something worse. You can, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about Jesus being a great human teacher. He, is, he has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Does that make sense? Jesus says stuff that's outlandish, and it's either true or it's a terrible, terrible hoax, and he's an evil man. What other things did Jesus say? Forgive. He hung out with absolute public sinners and gave them total forgiveness. That's outlandish too, isn't it? He went and met and touched the leprous and those that were considered unworthy and unclean. That's pretty insane as well. And what's the most outlandish thing that this Jesus said and did, this hero, this redeemer, this greater than Abraham, he's on a cross. For you and for me, that's insane. How dare we just look at our phone while we're watching him on a cross for us. And three days later, rose again. And he better have risen again. Or else all that he says is insane. But he did. That changes everything. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Maybe we can believe him. Maybe it's true. If you have his words. It doesn't mean obey, by the way. Jesus says keep, meaning You've got them. You're in them. His words are with you. His words are on you in baptism. His words are with you in communion. You're in his word. You will never die. You hang out with Jesus, basically, and you will never die. Maybe it's true. I wouldn't believe it except for he is risen. Hallelujah. Take and eat. Take and drink. This is the, the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. You're totally forgiven. This is his blood. You're made covenant with God. He is with you. He will raise you up in the last day. That's insane. But you know, maybe I'll believe it because he is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. But you can't just say that's nice advice for life. Jesus gives very little good advice for life, by the way. He gives great words that literally save you from death. And maybe we're not the Pharisees going to crucify him, and maybe we're not looking at our phone while Jesus is speaking, but I wonder sometimes for people that know these outlandish things that Jesus has said, we kind of look like people who are just kind of looking at our phone while he's talking, don't we? I will raise you up on the last day, and we're busy concerned about whether or not we're gonna, we have enough, uh, enough money in the stock market. Is our retirement going to go okay, right? We're going to rise from that. It's going to be okay. Jesus is risen. He's given us these promises, but we get really mad, and we're worried about tomorrow. I hope I get that promotion. He's speaking and talking about absolute forgiveness, and we're withholding someone's wrongdoing over them and judging them and not forgiving are you listening? Do you really hear Jesus? In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus comes 
And he says these words about a unity that I think we all would really love. A oneness. Bringing people back to God, but also to each other, as Jesus says. And he has done that. His death and his resurrection. He's removed the, you know, when, like I just said, when you say something, you can't take it back. And no matter what, that, those words or that action sit there. I've worked with marriages like this. Terrible actions happen. The person is sorry. And there's forgiveness even, but you can't take it back. Water's gone under the bridge, and they'll never get it out of their head. Jesus' death does work. Not only does God absolutely forgive your sins, but unlike us, oftentimes, it is forgotten. When you get to heaven, you might want to bring up something you did, and God will look at you and say, I don't even know what you're talking about. You might say, I'm amazed, Lord, that you forgave me for that. It just blows my mind that you would let, that you're forgiven me, and he would look at you like he doesn't even know what you're talking about. Forgotten. That's a restoration relationship. And Jesus has done that. And if that's not enough, what's the other thing that separates us? Death. I had to sit this week, had the privilege of someone watching his spouse die. Talk about no longer being one. But in Christ, I got to say she's just fine, that she will rise, that she's been baptized in his name, and you will see her again and embrace her again, and in fact, she is alive even more than you are right now in Jesus, that not even death can separate this relationship. When Jesus prays this, he means this. He has come to bring you back to God and to one another. Beautiful words, isn't it? I and them and you and me, and they're all going to get along perfectly. That rhyme. Chapter 17 of John. <laughs> Chapter 18. Sounds good, right? Whoa, this is going to be an awesome community of oneness. I can't wait to be a part of that. Chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden. Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests, came to him. And Jesus is betrayed by a friend. After speaking these words of this great, perfect community, and immediately the next thing that happens is a friend throws Jesus under the bus and breaks the community. But then later on in the same chapter 18, well, not very long at all. This is just uh, verse 15. In 15 verses, Judas betrays Jesus, and now Peter denies him three times after that eloquent prayer. And then soon John tells us they all scattered. And then later on in Acts, quite honestly... Even as the church brought back in Jesus, they're fighting. Peter says crazy things to the uh, Galatians, and Paul's mad at him. 
and has to straighten him out. And then there's St. James. Are we the e pluribus unum in Jesus? Do we get along perfectly? Everything going perfect? Do you feel at one with another here? I think so sometimes. I think we should actually see how amazing it actually is. In fact, downstairs, we listen to the Beckers talk about Christians in Kenya. They're missionaries to us. A whole different language, a whole different way of thinking, and yet united amazingly from every language. Right now, Christianity is, is, amazing, is thriving. The love of Christ is thriving, and the church is growing. Maybe not in our luxurious world where we've invented dumb problems that are far, I mean, things that are far more deserving of our love than our neighbor or Jesus. But it is broken oftentimes, isn't it? But what is it that secures our oneness? What is it that keeps you in God? It's not you. Churches have tried to create institutions that are, uh, that are almost kind of like uh, schism proof. If we have the right hierarchy, if we have the right organizational skills, if we can set it up the bureaucracy just right, we will keep ourselves united. Or if we act this way, or if we get rid of bad people, we'll keep ourselves united. And yet, what keeps us united? Where's our unity? It's not in the, unit, the bureaucratical organization we call St. James. It is not in the LCMS. It's not in the Roman Catholic Church. It's not in the Methodist Church. Those are not the things that create and sustain community and oneness. They're good to have organizations, but they come and they go, and as we know, they fail because we fail. But what does Jesus say? I, he's praying that the Father makes us one. He's the one that keeps us one. He's the one that unites us. His words are what keep us in this community. The words of, I forgive you to our friend. The words of, it's going to be okay. She's going to rise again to our sister in Christ. That keeps us unified. Jesus' action, and what does he say at the end here? I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. You are one with God, not because you are behaving better, but because he has brought you in, and he will sustain you, and he is the protagonist, protagonist in this story and in your relationship. Thank God. Your relationship to God is up to him and not you. Did you know that? And thank God the unity of St. James and the spreading of the good news of Jesus and the growing of this church and bringing more and more people into community is up to Jesus and not you. May you have comfort in that. doesn't mean you shouldn't care about being nice to one another and acting more in unity. But Jesus is talking about a reality that's happening right now. You're good with God the Father. He loves you no matter what you've done, and he'll chase you down no matter how far you run. And we are good with one another, miraculously. And he will do amazing things through us in this city because this city needs to see some kind of community that's not toxic, some kind of unity that isn't splintered or political 
or having a bunch of agendas. The Lord has set us here on purpose, I tell you that, in this city and in this country to show people that there is a possible way to live in community. It's not political and not full of, and not full of agendas, but it's centered in Jesus, who is the ultimate one who died and rose for you in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.